0: And thank you guys for leading us today. Thanks for entering in with us. And I believe God has some more that he wants to say to us. Uh, Today, those songs, I feel like were very fitting for what the Lord's put on my heart to share with you today. A couple of announcements uh, real quick before we dive into that. If you're a guest with us, um, we'd love for you to stop by the table in the back before you leave today. We've got a gift that we want to give you. There's also a connect card that is out there that we ask that you just fill out just as a way for you to share with us uh, a part of your experience for those of you that are regulars with us those connect cards are available also on the table or online you can use that qr code to be able to uh, fill that out share prayer needs with us or corrections to addresses emails uh, or just uh, things that you would like us to know and so please use those to communicate with us today Uh, house of prayer tonight at six o'clock and then Connection Point this week, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, and also this week for Empowered Youth. This will be our last uh, regular meeting for the summer this Wednesday night uh, at 7 o'clock for them. Also, registrations are due for Kids Camp uh, by May the 19th. The price is 195 for teen camp, uh, also May the nineteenth. The price for that, I believe, is two twenty-five, two forty. Sorry, my bad, um, and I should have wrote that down. And then our first ever young adult retreat. So if you're ages eighteen to thirty and want to be a part of the young adult retreat, uh, you can find more information on the district website. Just reach out to me, and I'll get you uh, that information. And uh, we'd encourage you to consider that to be able to interact with some of the other young adults in our state, and just to be able to encounter God together in some of the most beautiful country uh, on the planet. And so if you've never been to our Black Hills Retreat Center, it is one of the best locations in the Black Hills. And uh, it's a beautiful campground and a beautiful facility God has blessed us with here in South Dakota. And so stop by the table in the back. A lot of information out there and a lot of things you can pick up from that table from Items you can purchase, free items as well. Books are available out there. Prayer guides are available out there as well. And then something called lasagna love, lasagna love. Uh, This is about providing meals to those that are in need in our community. And so there's a flyer for those of you that would like to provide lasagnas. And then there are flyers for uh, those that are in need Of Some meals that to be provided for them, whether it's finances, whether it's medical problems, whether it's just uh, being overwhelmed Uh, Both of those flyers are out there for yourself or for others Please make sure you stop by the table a lot of stuff out there for you today And so if you have not been with us, we've been in a series over the last couple of months It's based on a book by John Ortberg called the life that you've always wanted and it's a book about spiritual disciplines and how to use spiritual disciplines to be able to live out the life that Jesus purchased for us through his death and resurrection. Um, you, we don't just say the sinner's prayer and then everything just happens. Uh, there is a cooperation that you and I need to do with the Holy Spirit. We don't make it happen, but we definitely cooperate with him. And we have to position ourselves. In fact, today, the, just the Bible reading plan I was using uh, talk, compared it to uh, the Karate Kid And the Karate Kid, if you remember the old movie where he was waxing cars and washing cars and sanding the floor and painting the fence and painting the house, and he thought nothing was happening. And yet the the writer of that devotion today talked about how those spiritual disciplines work the same way. We use them knowing they're producing fruit in our lives, and we don't always recognize it in the moment. But then when we find ourselves in a situation where we used to react this way, and we react a different way, We realized that those spiritual disciplines were doing their work in us all along to bring out the fruit that God has produced in our lives. And so I actually shared that one on my Facebook page today. So if you want to read it, you're more than welcome to. Very fitting with uh, the John Ortberg book that we've been reading. In fact, there's a Dallas Willard quote in it that I've shared over the last couple of weeks. But we are in chapter 10. And this is called A Life of Freedom. We started it last week, and it's about freedom from approval addiction, freedom from the the thoughts that bombard us, what other people think of us, or how we even think other people think of us, and how to break out of that life. And last week, we talked about how to recognize that, how to break out of that, and um, shared some practical things from the chapter. We talked about the practice of secrecy and mayday, And giving anonymous prayer requests or praying for people anonymously or kind gifts and sowing into others. And uh, just wrestling with how praise and criticism affect us in our lives and how to break that off. And so that was last week. Today we're going to talk about Stick to Your Story is the title that I I put on this. And um, I don't know if I like it or not, but stick to your story. We'll find out by the end if it fits or not. But I believe God is writing a story for every single one of us in this room. Um, He's actually writing a story for our our world and he has always been writing this story and he has always been inviting partners to partner with him. So it's not like God's just writing our each individual stories. He's writing his story and he's inviting each of us to play a role in that. So maybe it would be better to say stick to your role instead of stick to your story because it's his story. But yeah, now I'm just overthinking it. So John chapter 21. John chapter 21, Jesus is with his disciples for the first real conversation that's been recorded um, after his death and resurrection. So he's meeting with them back up in Galilee. If you know a lot about Jerusalem, Jerusalem is in the southern portion of Israel. Galilee is all the way in the north. They have gone back to fishing. They don't know what to do. They're confused about everything that's taken place. And so Jesus died. He was raised again. And Jesus meets with them, and he meets specifically with Simon Peter. Um, If you know Peter, Jesus prophesied that Peter would deny him three times, and he did, and was the ultimate betrayal, if you will. And Jesus comes along in verse 15 of this chapter, and he says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, scholars debate on who these these are, Uh, I tend to lean towards more than these other disciples because that's been Peter's problem all along. Um, Peter doesn't really believe in Jesus. Peter believes in his belief in Jesus. I mean, he has confidence, not in Jesus, but he has confidence in his faith in Jesus. Um, He's putting all of his eggs in his basket of, I can do this. I am better than the rest. In fact, he even said, even if everyone else denies you, I will not deny you. Um, That's Peter's problem. And so Jesus is lovingly bringing him back from that and kind of pointing out this problem, this approval addiction in his life, if you will. And he says, do you love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, I mean, three failures, you got to have three restored, right? A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was heard that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself whenever you went, wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Now, Jesus is not having a conversation about wardrobes here. Um, This is what John clarifies for us, especially those of us maybe not familiar with the culture and the, the history of this moment and maybe wondering why in the world Jesus is talking about someone else to pick out his clothes. I mean, for all the moms in the room who, praise God, pick out the clothes for their children and for their spouses. And because, you know, men can't pick out their own clothes and you have done that. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the type of life or the kind of death that Peter is going to have or face that's going to ultimately bring glory to God. Then Jesus told him this, follow me, follow me. The most simple, that's, I mean, that was Jesus' command to everybody. Follow me. You want to find something out? Follow me. Follow me. Peter turned and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? (sighs) Oh, Peter. Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. A lot of us, as we talked about last week, get hung up on everyone else's story why our stories different, why certain people are blessed and we seem to not be blessed, why things are going easier for others than they do for us. And we fall into this trap of comparing our story with other people's stories and even sometimes with our own expectations. Sometimes we have these expectations when we follow Jesus that everything is going to just work out, that everything is just dry land is always going to appear. But do you know that there's a promise in the word where dry land does appear, but there's also a promise that says when you go through the flood, I will be with you. You won't drown, but it doesn't say any promise about dry land. And so we have to be sure that we understand that God is writing a story, and he's got a story for each and every one of us, and you and I have to follow him. Our eyes have to be fixed on him. We cannot look to the left and to the right. I did that right? Sorry, I just got confused for a second. But we have to keep our eyes on Him. We can't let what other people are experiencing or not experiencing or what we aren't experiencing that we think we should be experiencing keep us from just following Him. In Psalm 139, David writes, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Are your thoughts about me, O God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. Every day of our lives recorded... Before one came to be. I don't know what you think when you hear that, but maybe you imagine that God has this wonderfully magnificent plan for you that is absolutely perfect, and it's our job to find out what God's mysterious will is for our lives so we can walk in this perfect plan that God has for us and never experience anything difficult or hard, and the sun is always shining and we just walk perfectly. I don't think that's what God had in mind. Because God knew us before we were born, and in that, He knew every single mistake you and I would make before we were born. He knew them. And He worked all of them into a plan, working for our good, even before we made those mistakes. I don't believe God has this super, as we think of, perfect plan that is like laid out, there's no better path that we could absolutely take for each and every one of us. I just think God in his foreknowledge knew everything that was going to happen in our lives, everything that would be done to us as a result of others' choices, and every dumb mistake you and I would make as a result of our own choices. He knew every part of our lives, and he has worked together a plan for us. God is looking for partners and not robots. When the Bible talks about predestination, I do not believe the Bible defines that as God laying out a plan for us to find, but God saying, I want to work with you so that you can work us alongside me, working my plan for the world. He's looking for partnership. In Jeremiah chapter 1, it says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Again, with Jeremiah. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. There was a calling on his life. Oh, sovereign Lord, he said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. And the Lord replied, do not say I'm too young. You must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people. For I will be with you and I will protect you. Praise the Lord. I have spoken. Woo! Woo! I don't know about you, but if maybe you came to our prayer team today and I prophesied over you and said, God is going to be with you and he is going to protect you. He has called you to do this thing. Now go do it. You would probably walk out of here on cloud nine. But if you've ever read Jeremiah's story, Jeremiah gets beaten. Jeremiah gets imprisoned. Jeremiah gets mocked. And Jeremiah doesn't win one convert. Except maybe we could argue the prophet Daniel, like, when he read Jeremiah's words. And yet, we read God's going to be with us and protect us? Are you serious? Like, that's not my idea of protection. Like, but apparently that's God's. I mean, apparently God can say you can come this far, but not this far. And so we look at our lives sometimes, and we make all these excuses, and I'm too young, or I'm too old, or I missed my calling— You didn't miss anything. You are today in the perfect will of God if you will just turn to him and trust him because he's already taken everything that's ever been done to you and every mistake that you would ever make and he has woven them into a plan that he has had from you while you were in the womb. Amen. And he's promised in Philippians chapter 1, I am sure of this very thing that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, we define that word perfect differently than the Bible does. When we think of perfect, we think of like 100% on a test, you didn't make any mistakes, you, you know, it couldn't be better, it's perfect. The word perfect in the Bible just means complete or whole. And so you can be perfect and make a lot of mistakes. In fact, the more mistakes you make, the more perfect you become. I mean, I'll show you in the scripture. And so, if you and I are going to find our story, we have to make sure we understand that our finding our story starts with Jesus. It starts with Him. As Paul is talking to the Athens, the people in uh, Athens, the Athenians, in Acts chapter 16, this is what he says. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and He does not live in temples built by human hands, and He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything. Rather, He Himself gives everyone... Everyone, not the Christians, everyone, life and breath and everything else. You don't even have to believe in him to receive his mercy because you have breath today because he's given it to you. Like this is the God we serve. He is working in our lives even before we accept him. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and their boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. I love that the Apostle Paul uses a secular poet in his sermon. Sometimes in our church world, we get all hung up because people are using secular songs or secular books in a church service and can't use secular things. Tell that to Paul. And so don't worry about what someone else is doing. Let God work with that church or that person, and you follow him. Don't mess with other people's stories. Oh, that was not even, that was just a sidebar. God has been revealing himself through creation, and he reveals himself. He's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And our story starts by coming to Jesus, by acknowledging our need of him, by acknowledging that we went our own way, that we sinned, that we need him, that he came for us, that he died in our place, that he rose again to put his spirit in us so we could have life and join him in living out our story in God's story as it unfolds right now. And we commit to follow him no matter what that story does. But our identity has to be rooted and secure in who he has made us to be. It cannot be about our performance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, The Christian is the man who no longer seeks his salvation his deliverance, his justification in himself, but in Jesus Christ alone. He knows that God's word in Jesus Christ pronounces him guilty even when he does not feel his guilt. And God's word in Jesus Christ pronounces him not guilty and righteous even when he does not feel that he is righteous at all. How perfectly we live out our story does not define us. We are defined by the death of burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are defined by what God says about us and the thoughts that he's thought about us when we were in the womb, working together all of our stupid mistakes into the plan he has for us. His precious thoughts about us are not because we're perfect, they're because we're his And we have to be rooted and grounded in that love. And Jesus had to come along and restore Peter first. And we look at Peter's failure and we're like, well, that's not really a big deal. But it is a big deal. If you understand the Jewish culture... I don't know if you've ever wondered why when they talk about Judas, they're like the one who betrayed Jesus. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Over and over in the Gospels. Because if you give the story of the Gospels to a Jew, and you tell them without these clarifying statements, there's a betrayer in this story. They're not going to pick Judas. They're going to pick Peter. Because Peter is the ultimate betrayer. Because according to to Jewish thinking okay Judas thought Jesus Judas was a zealot he thought he was helping Jesus come to power he was just tipping the hand he did not expect Jesus to die that's why the remorse but here's the thing you can come back from that if he would have just trusted in the grace of God he could have come back from that one humanly we don't think so we think that's the ultimate betrayal Peter's is the ultimate betrayal And that's why Jesus said at the beginning, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have rebuked the devourer for your sake, and he is not going to get it. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you because you're about to be tested, but I've prayed that your faith would not fail, and when you turn back, oh, that means you're going to turn away. When you turn back, Strengthen your brothers. Oh, there's so much in that story. Even if everyone else deserts you, Peter says, I'll never desert you. And Jesus comes alongside and he's doing the same thing to us. You have to let go of comparisons. We have to let go of our expectations of what we expect our life to be like. Because when we follow Jesus, we expect that we're going to always get the promotion when we follow Jesus, we expect that there's always going to be enough money for anything we want. We expect that we're going to get bigger and better because that's the way our culture looks at things. The culture thinks about going up as higher. But in the kingdom, if you want to go higher, where do you go? Down. Down is up in the kingdom. And we know this, but man, does, is it hard when we're in the throes of it. When our life is not going the way we expected because of the way we were mistreated or the way someone spoke about us, they lied about us, and we feel like we have to set the record straight. If you try to to write your own story and set your own record straight, you'll have to do it for the rest of your life. But if you keep silent and you let God speak on your behalf, you will never have to defend yourself. Ask David, the man after God's heart. If he's done with me on the throne, I'll walk away. And he did. And Saul fought for what he couldn't cling to. He tried so hard and he lost it all. And David held it with an open hand and said, if he wants it, he can have it. And the Messiah came in the line of David. I mean, I know God wants to bless and I know God wants to restore. But I wonder sometimes, because we look at missionaries that give their lives overseas and if their blood was not spilt in the land where they went, there would not be a church where there's a church today. And why does one person have to sow in blood and one person gets to reap a harvest that they didn't sow anything into? I don't know. You follow me. In Romans chapter 12, The Apostle Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Do You know, the mercy of God is us not getting what we deserve. I mean, you and I never have gotten from God what we deserve. Never. No, no, none of us have. Instead, we get his goodness, we get his mercy and we get his grace. So in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by changing the way you think ultimately. Now, when we read that, most of us tend to read the pattern of this world as like bad things or sinful things. But the pattern of this world is that if you're if if you're blessed, that means you you have everything you need. If you're blessed, you're not sick. If you're blessed, you have all the money you need. If you're blessed, you get the promotion at work. If you're blessed, you get the right parking place. I mean, that's what it means to be blessed in our culture. And that's something that has to be broken off and renewed. Because you can be blessed and get the last space. In fact, the one that's last in the kingdom is first. And this is why some of us can't embrace our story. And we can't embrace what God is doing in our lives because we feel like we haven't gotten what we deserved or what we were owed or we got passed over because of something that either we did. We can't let go of our own mistakes or we can't let go of the hurts of what someone else has done to us. But I promise you, God has already worked them into your story and he has a way out if you just trust him. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good his pleasing, and his perfect will. I don't believe the Apostle Paul is talking about three different types of the will of God. I believe he's describing the will of God with three different terms. God's will is good. It's eternally good. And good, by definition for us, again, is not always the best. He's working for our good, our ultimate eternal character, nature, all of that. God is working out in our lives all the time. Good. It's pleasing, meaning it's according to God's will, according to God's design, for God's glory. That's pleasing. And it's perfect. And we've already talked about that word perfect. It doesn't mean that there's this perfect no better way mistake for some of us we feel like our life has been this long journey and we could have gotten from here to here but no we did all this and we're like all these mistakes and we live with regret and confusion and fear and God's like I brought you that way does that mean God authored the pain you've experienced no He knew about the pain you would experience. He knew about the choices that your parents would make or your friends would make. He knew about every betrayal. He knew about every hardship. He knew about your mistakes. And he's woven them together to get you where you need to be. And so today, today, when you turn to him, you are in the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God today. We look at it as if the perfect will of God is out there, that i got to get to it. It's today, because you've been called to walk a journey with Him. He is not about destinations. He is about journeys. You have been called to be in relationship with Him and follow Him. So today you are in the perfect will of God, as long as you continue to follow Him, to trust Him. Too many Christians cannot accept that where they are is God's perfect will no 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 pastor God's perfect will is my healing that may be tomorrow but today you are in the perfect will of God today every day was written in his book before one of them came to be and this is not an excuse for us to receive God's grace in vain and to live flippantly and so oh it just doesn't matter how I live because the scripture tells us make every effort seek him with your whole heart you've got to be diligent all of those things are still there We're just not defined by the performance of them. We're defined by who he says we are. And this is what the Apostle Paul means when he says in Philippians chapter 4, I have learned to be content in any circumstance. I have experienced times of need and I have experienced times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, whether I have plenty or I have nothing, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. That is not a verse that you're supposed to cut out and put on your wall and think you can accomplish anything. Anything you set your mind to. That means you can live out the perfect, good, pleasing will of God today. No matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter what thoughts are bombarding you, no matter what other people are saying about you, no matter what you're experiencing, you can live in the good, pleasing, perfect will of God because He's strengthening you today to do it. Ooh, that's some good stuff. And I don't sit here today, someone that says, oh, you know, I have it all together. Come up here and join me where I have it all together. Because just like you, I wrestle with whether or not I'm being obedient to God, whether or not I'm in the will of God, whether or not I, I've even, I can even hear God. And I struggle with it all the time. I struggled with it just these last several months. I promise you, it doesn't always get easier we still have to take thoughts captive and we still have to trust him. When I took the role of lead pastor here, I had been the youth pastor here for 18 months. And in my brain, this church had a, had a story, it had a past, and it was a difficult past. It had had, it had had some splits, it had some difficulties, it had some financial problems, it had a lot of stuff. And some people back in the day didn't like me to talk about it because they were like, don't tell other people about the problems. Uh, you find me a church that doesn't have a past. And I'll, I'll find you the past. Every church has their issues um, because it's full of people and people have issues. Yep, sorry if you didn't know that, but it, they do. And so I thought in my young 21-year-old, 22-year-old brain that we just needed this seasoned leader to come in and just lead this congregation and just be able to bring things in line. And I was meeting with a mentor of mine who was here to speak to our youth group at Burger King. And he looked across the table at me and he said, I don't think at all that's what this church needs. He said, I feel like this church needs someone that's just willing to stay put and willing to grow with them. He says, I think you're the guy. And I just chuckled like that and I'm like, I don't know anything. Like I'm in youth ministry. I don't know how to be a pastor. I don't even want to be a pastor. He says, I'm just here to tell you what I think and, and you have to wrestle with whether or not that's what God's saying to you. Surprise, six months later, I did feel like that's what God was saying to me. And I, with fear and trepidation, took the position 24 years ago. And over the years, I've wondered when do I leave? Some of you probably wondered that too. Where, I mean, because people always leave, right? I mean, there's always a time to leave, there's a time to stay, and there's a time to go. And so I've always wrestled with, well, you know, am I overstaying? Should I still be here? I mean, because the church is the same size that it was when I came. I mean, 24 years? Like, is this really all? I mean, someone else could do this better than I could. So maybe, maybe I missed it. Maybe I missed the time that I was supposed to leave. And I promise you, on difficult days, it always feels like it's time to leave. And there have been difficult days because there, I remember there was a, a time where someone asked me for some advice and I gave them advice that I thought was right, that I had prayed into, and it was not the advice they took. They took s- some other advice and it strained our relationship. It didn't sever it, it strained it. And it, everything has seemed to work out for them, and so I've wrestled with it. I give them bad advice. Like, what kind of a pastor am I? Maybe I should have, like, maybe I shouldn't have said what I said. Do I even know how to hear God? And one day I remember, and it's not like I sit around all the time, okay? Please don't feel like I'm, like, th- I'm just giving you some highlights here or lowlights. Um, and so I'm, like, wrestling with God, like, how, how did I miss it? And he said, what if what you said to them was actually what helped them take that decision more seriously? Are you okay with that? And what if they never even recognize it? What if I'm, I'm the only one, God, who recognizes that what you said was needed to keep them on the, the path that they're on? Are you okay with that? Well, yes. But no, I mean, I want to be known as the guy that gives good advice. I don't want people to be like, well, that guy doesn't know how to give advice. That's what we wrestle with. That's what you wrestle with. All the time people are like, I feel like I married the wrong person. Not possible, because the person you married is the person that God knew from the beginning you would marry. I feel like I I missed God's call on my life. Not possible, because God knew every bad mistake and decision you would make all along the way. All you've got to do is come to him and say, God, I'm ready. Whatever it costs, whatever you want me to do, however I need to humble myself, that's what I'll do. God's will does not always mean promotion or position or more money or easy road or no difficult circumstances or that you won't get wounded by others or that your path will not be littered with mistakes that we've made ourselves. I know this, God is always at work and seeds are always growing. That's what I know. God is always at work and seeds are always growing growing. And we have to wrestle with our own thoughts and our own feelings and our own disappointments and our own confusions and even our own successes. And we have to learn to see things from God's perspective. We have to learn to listen to His voice and not what the voices around us are saying. Not even what our own hearts tell us. Because our own hearts will even condemn us. But God is greater than our hearts. In Galatians chapter 6 it says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. When Whoever sows to please their flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. doesn't say perfectly. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers." If we are going to last in our story, we have to commit ourselves to two things. And don't worry, I know what time it is. Not only do we have to let go of comparison and let go of our expectations, we have to commit ourselves to endurance. We have to commit ourselves to endurance. We have to keep doing good, knowing at the proper time we reap a harvest. We have to keep doing good believing that the seeds that we're planting and watering and cultivating are growing even though there's no sprout yet. This last week as I was wrestling with some of my own thoughts at district council, right before a service began, I got a message on my phone that was just a reminder to me that sometimes seeds are growing and you never expect it. And I got to see some harvest that's taking place because I've stayed in this place for 24 years. And I promise you, over 24 years, I've made a lot of mistakes, and I haven't done it perfectly, and there's probably a lot of people out there that could have led this church better and made better decisions and could have grown it faster or done some other things differently. But I am in the perfect will of God because I'm here. And God knew I would be here. And I can either let those thoughts bombard me and overwhelm me and I can let the seasons that I wish were there or the relationships that, that I, I wish I had. Or I can trust that God is at work and that the seeds in, that I am planting are growing and I can just keep doing good. I can commit myself to endurance. And it's a daily battle to take thoughts captive and to overcome the disappointments and to overcome the awkward moments of our lives and commit to endurance. Listen to the words of the Apostle James in James chapter 1. Brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials, because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. It's overcoming sometimes what other people have done to us, and it's overcoming what we've done to ourselves, and even being able to admit we're our own worst problem. Some of us are blaming other people and other circumstances and and all of the things that have happened in our lives, and guess what? None of that is keeping us from the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Sometimes we're our own worst problem. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are pressed on every side by troubles. Huh. That's an encouraging word. But we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Pastor Tom, help me, I'm so perplexed. I, am, I must not be in the will of God. Really? The Apostle Paul says you'd be perplexed. Don't let your perplexed drive you to despair. You're in the will of God. We're hunted down, but we're never abandoned. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Romans chapter 8, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Peter had to endure, and Jesus prepared him for it. But he had to be focused on following Jesus, not looking to the left, not looking to the right, but following Jesus. Jesus and trusting that God was at work. But here's the thing. We cannot just be committed to endurance. We have to be committed to personal growth. We have to be committed to personal growth. Endurance without personal growth is stagnation. There are a lot of pastors that have been in a church for a long time. And are not personally growing. They're stagnant. So endurance alone is not enough. And I don't want to be someone who just endures. I want to be someone who grows. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul tells us that these trials and difficulties in our lives are used to promote great growth in our lives. Listen. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father. The source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So how are we in, how are we able to comfort those around us who need comfort? Well, we have to put, be in situations where we learn to receive comfort from the Lord, because we can't just give them comfort from ourselves. We have to give them the comfort we've experienced. But most of us, when we get in hardship, want just other people to be our comfort, and we don't recognize that God in these moments wants us to learn to receive from Him. I'm all for the body ministering to each other. I think it's necessary. I think it's vital. Please don't hide and isolate when you're in need. But we have got to learn that other people cannot be what we need. He has to be what we need. Other people will let us down. They'll try to comfort us, But our ultimate comfort has to come from God. When we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you, the Apostle Paul says. Then he goes on to say in verse 6, Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that God has, that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives We think you ought to know, dear brothers, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. I know that some days we joke and are like, oh, this thing is going to kill me. Praise God he raises the dead. Let it kill you. He'll bring you back. Follow him. Be willing to be corrected. Not just for sin in our lives, but sometimes we're doing things in our own lives to sabotage our own story and we don't even recognize it when other people try to come along and correct us, we won't receive it. Peter had to learn this. We're told a story, not by Peter, but by Paul in Galatians chapter 2. When Peter came to Antioch, Paul says, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised, but afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of others, Here's a question. Who does that for you? Who calls you on your behavior? If nobody, find somebody. And say, would you call me out when I need it? Would you point out where I need to grow? Will you challenge me? Because I promise you, every one of us in this room, every person listening online, every one of us needs corrected. We do. And it's not always sin. Now, we have to learn the difference between accuser and and advocate. Okay? Let me sum it up really quick this way. Because accusers and advocates sometimes say the same words. They just say them from different places. Accusers will say things from a distance. But advocates will say it up close. An advocate will be someone that will help you carry it out in your life. An accuser is someone who speaks from a distance and wants to define you by it. Jesus stands before the Father making advocate. He's advocating for us. He may be pointing out our flaws and our weaknesses and our mistakes, but he's calling them out. The enemy is our accuser. And he stands making accusation, defining and condemning us by those same weaknesses. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says, My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chases, chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? Kingdom minded people love discipline, we love correction. Because we're rooted and grounded not in our performance in the identity that Christ speaks over us. And so when people point out our mistakes and our flaws, we can correct them because that's not who we are, it's what we do. This is why it's so important that our identity be rooted and grounded in Him first. So that when people correct us, we can receive it. We endure hardship as discipline. It does not say that hardship is discipline. It does not say that you're experiencing what you're experiencing in your life because God is angry with you or God doesn't like you or because God is is trying to punish you in some way. It says you're experiencing hardship in your life and you can either view it as discipline or you can have a pity party and you can let it destroy you. The apostle, as he writes to us, says, see it as discipline, commit to endurance and to growth. And so this morning, I hope that you find your story. I hope that you find your story. In fact, for, for this, these last few moments, here's what I want you to do. I just want you, where you are in your seat, where you are at home, I want you to just close your eyes. And I want you to, I want you to think about your story. I want you to imagine yourself. I, I want us to go all the way back and imagine us in the womb. We've all seen pictures of babies in the womb. And I want you to see yourself there. Because that's where your story began. And I want you to see God in this picture. And I don't know what God looks like. And I don't know what you need him to look like right now. But I want you to see God looking at you in the womb. And I want you to see him thinking precious thoughts towards you. Writing in his book. And I want you to understand that he's writing in your book all of the betrayals that you're going to experience. He's writing in your book all of the shameful things that you're ever going to do before Christ and after. He's going to take all of those things and he's writing them in his book and he's smiling. Not because he wants you to experience that pain, but he knows how he can use it to mold you and shape you And gets you into his story. And he delights over you. And all along, he's been writing your story. And in those moments when you've experienced betrayal and hurt and disappointment. And in those moments when you've been covered in shame and tears have fallen. He promises that he collects every single one of those tears in a bottle. And he uses them to vindicate us. He's fighting for you today. And I know that some days it doesn't feel like it. Some days it feels like everything is against you. You got passed over for that promotion at work, and you know you're far more qualified than the person that got the promotion. You've been carrying around a lot of baggage about things that people have said about you. Ways that they've tried to sabotage your life. You've been carrying around disappointments. Wondering why other people get to experience this and this is your life. And I want you to hear Jesus. Walk alongside you. Just like he did to Peter. And say... I'm with you, and I'm going to protect you. But you can't compare your story with someone else's. And you can't let the expectations of what you thought was the best path keep you from walking today in my good, pleasing, and perfect will, because I'm with you. And I know you feel covered in shame, and guilt and condemnation today. But if you'll come to me, I'll take that off. And I'll cover you with my glory. But you're going to have to endure some hardships. And you're going to face some challenges. But just like Peter before you, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. And while I could rebuke the devourer for your sake, I've chosen instead to advocate for you. And I am standing today at the right hand of the Father, and I am interceding for you. And I know that you feel like you're about to drown you won't. because that's not how your story ends. Now I've written a different ending. So trust me and follow me. If you're in the room today, and you've never had a moment where you've come to Jesus. watching online and you've never acknowledged your sin, you've never acknowledged that you need him, you've never believed that his death was on your behalf, and you've never answered his call to just come and follow, but today you recognize, you hear his voice, you hear him saying come, and maybe for the first time today you say I'm going to do that. I'm going to acknowledge my sin. I'm going to put confidence in what Jesus has done for me. I'm going to draw my identity from his death and his burial and his resurrection. And I'm going to follow him. I want to follow him every day of my life. And that's what I want to do today. If you're in the room and that's you, would you stand to your feet and say, I'm going to make that commitment today for the first time. I'm to follow Jesus. I want to come after him. In a moment, some others are going to stand with you. But if you're here today and for the first time, you're coming to Jesus, I want to know who you are so I can pray for you. Would you stand to your feet today? Say, Pastor, pray for me because that's what I want to do. And I'm going to assume the us in this room are those that have at one point come to Jesus. But I believe today there are people in the room like there are people in the room that need to experience restoration (laughs) and while I don't know your story I have my own story (laughs) and I haven't perfectly learned to receive the comfort that I need from him but I'm working on it and I want to pray today comfort over you so if you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I want, I want you to pray for me today. I need, I need to follow. I need to hear his voice. I need to trust that he's writing my story. It's hard. I'm overwhelmed. I'm tired. I just need a fresh touch. If that's you, would you just stand to your feet and say, pray for me today. I know we don't like to stand, but I'm going to stand. And I want you to join me. If you're here and you say, I I need to hear his voice. I need to know that he's writing my story in a fresh way. I mean, I know it in my head. I need it deep in my heart today. If that's you, stand to your feet. I'm going to ask you to put your hands out in a receiving As I pray today, wherever you are, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, we serve a God that's not limited by distance or time or space. And so whenever you're watching and wherever you're watching, he can meet you where you are. If there's someone that's standing near you and you can just go to them and just put a hand on their shoulder and agree with me as we pray today. And if you're here and you haven't stood to your feet yet and you need to, I'm going to encourage you to do that. So, Holy Spirit, I pray today for each and every person that's standing today, whether in this room, whether watching online, God of all comfort, would you comfort them today? For those that are being bombarded by shame and guilt over wrong choices, bad decisions, past, present, God, would you bring healing to their hearts today in the same way that you ministered to Peter? God, would you restore them today? Would you help their identity to be rooted not in their performance or the story that they're walking out, but in who you declare them to be today? Holy Spirit, would you minister today? Would you touch? Would you give grace to each of us today? To not compare ourselves with others to not let our own expectations either cultural expectations or expectations that we've believed lies that we've believed of where our lives should be at this point and God help us to walk today in your good and perfect will for our lives give us the strength to endure we don't want to put any confidence in our our faith in you, we want to put our confidence in you fully and completely today. We want to trust in you. Show us the areas of our lives where we need to be corrected. Show us the areas of our lives where we need to take thoughts captive. Show us the areas of our lives where we need to trust the story that you're writing. So Holy Spirit, do a deep work in our hearts today, I pray. I'm going to ask the rest of you, if you would, just to stand with me as we get ready to dismiss. I just want to pray a blessing over each and every one of us today, because I promise you, if you're not experiencing hardship today, if things are going well in your life right now, I promise you at some point in your life, you're going to experience something that's greater than your ability today to trust. And God is going to stretch you and he's going to grow you. And in those moments, I pray that he gives you everything that you need. walk through that. And so if you'd put your hands in that receiving posture and just allow me to pray that blessing over you today. So God, I pray for the secret of contentment today for each and every one of us. God, whether in plenty or in lack, God, whether we are experiencing joy or we're experiencing hardship and despair, we know that we can do all things through you who gives us strength. So give us the endurance that we need. Father, I pray your blessing over this body today. Would you bless them and would you keep them? Would you cause your face to shine on them? Would you lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace? And Lord, would you be gracious to them? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for um, staying a little bit late today. Uh, I knew we would go over a little today, but uh, I felt like this is something the Lord wanted to really imprint into our hearts. Uh, I encourage you to stop by the table out in the back before you leave today uh, for the information that's out there. Offering baskets are there as well. God bless you as you go today.